So we're on to a new series. Let me just explain what this series is going to be about. I'm not going to be long today because I know that we, we kind of got started late because a lot of good things were happening, like my family coming from Michigan. But, <laughs> but, uh, but let me just say this. Uh, I'm starting this series, and this series is entitled, and, and actually I should have, uh, I think everyone has a copy of the notes, and I hope you are, I hope you do. If you don't, just raise your hand and we'll make some more. The series is entitled, God Uses the Unlikely. And the purpose for this little series between books, because I'm like coach, I haven't decided which book I'm going to teach next. <laughs> so this little interlude, <laughs> this little intermission series on these unlikely characters, which I've been trying to teach, which I've been planning to teach for like a year. I, 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 I uh, purchased some books in preparation uh, for this series, some books that talk about some of the lesser-known characters in the Bible and some of the unsung heroes of the Bible. And I've been reading through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well, looking at people like you and me, people that are like little people, quote-unquote, not famous people. Everybody knows about Peter, Paul, James, and John. Everybody knows about David, Solomon, Abraham, and Moses. But how many of us know about some of the people that played an integral part in the gospel of salvation throughout Genesis to Revelation, in some cases, whose names are never even mentioned? Like the person I'm going to talk about today, which is a young slave Jewish girl who were never even given her name. She could be eight years old. She could be 12 years old. She could be 17 years old. We don't know. She's called a young maiden. And I think she is a superhero. I mean, she is a, an amazing hero of scripture because this little girl, whose name we don't know, may have been responsible for bringing salvation to an entire nation, the nation of Syria, sometimes referred to as Aram or the, Iran the Iranians. The word Aram and Syria are used interchangeably depending on what version of the Bible you're using. But let me just read something to you about Naaman's wife's maid. That's the title of our lesson, Naaman's wife's maid. We don't even have her name. All we have is her position and station in life. She was a maid, which means that she was a young girl. She was Jewish. And she was a slave. She was captured and ripped away from her family and taken off to a strange land by strange men and put to work in a strange household that worshipped a strange god by the name of Ramon, which is the Syrian version of the Babylonian god Baal, B-A-A-L. Just another god of the sun, moon, and stars that they worship God with the lowercase g, and this girl is thrown into this household. And watch what happens. Just going to be a few minutes. Hang with me. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, reading from the English Standard Version. The Bible says, Naaman 
commander of the army of the king of Syria. By the way, Naaman's name meaning in Hebrew means be pleasant or pleasantness. So that was his name, Naaman, the Syrian captain of the army, four-star general, highly decorated, second in command of the entire nation of Syria, which, by the way, Syria is still in business today. It's an Arab nation, uh, still a non-God-worshipping nation, but they're still around, and here is a guy that ruled their army 900 years before Jesus. It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man, with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria he was a mighty man of valor but he was a leper okay so I gotta stop a minute I gotta stop because this is just amazing to me already you have all these accolades he was highly regarded highly decorated high-ranking he was a military leader he was a great man of honor and integrity. He was a man of valor. He had all these positions, all these decorations, all these citations, all of this pedigree. But the sentence that describes him concludes, but he was a leper. It kind of undermines or negates everything previously stated about him. Why? Because leprosy was a death sentence. And actually, even today, today in 2022, it's called Hansen's disease. There is still no human cure. There's treatment for leprosy. But if you read any of the books written by one of, one of well, there's a couple guys uh, that I really love. Dr. Paul Brand. If you read Dr. Paul Brand's books, if you look for he has like two or three books. He was a missionary that did missionary work in Africa and India primarily for leprosy patients. And this was in the 21st century. He just recently died not too long ago. Uh, Paul Brand wrote a book about his work with leper patients in leprosy camps, which are still in existence around the world. People that contract the disease leprosy is isolated, they're quarantined, they're made to live outside of other uh, living, when, at least when the disease is made known, they're made to live outside of the other population. In the, in the Bible days, an Israelite that, that contracted leprosy had to go and show himself to the priest. And if there were white spots or there started, there was signs where the skin was becoming discolored or infected or having shown telltale signs of the deterioration of, of the skin, which was a, a disease, a skin disease, the leprosy is a skin disease primarily, but it's primarily a degenerative disease that starts at the nerve endings and it starts to eat away. And the way leprosy works, by the way, this is interesting, the way leprosy works is that it's a really insidious disease that starts on the nerve endings and it basically deadens a person's sensitivity. It deadens the nerves. It deadens their ability to feel, to touch, and most importantly, to recognize pain. So a lot of leprosy patients 
would have to live outdoors and they would find them with their toes and fingers bitten off by rats and other animals because they had no sensitivity to shoo them away and they would go to sleep and their limbs would be subject to attack because they had to live in these leopard camps outside of city walls. If you read over in, um, there's another passage in Kings where it talks about the four leprous men. I've preached on that before. You guys remember when I taught about that? The guys came to the conclusion. They said, why sit we here until we die? And they decided to go and look for food because they were starving to death because the way a leper received food is that people would throw their garbage over the city wall and the lepers would just fight for whatever scraps, whatever garbage they could get because that's the only way they could eat. They were made to live outside of the population. When they approached someone, they had to holler if they were within 150 feet of someone downwind, they had to leave. If they were within six feet of someone, they had to shout unclean, unclean to declare themselves so that people wouldn't come near them because they didn't really understand how contagious this disease was. And so most people regarded leprosy as a curse from God. So leprosy was equated to sin. Anybody that got leprosy who was considered having received a death sentence, they were isolated, they were castigated, they were made to stay outside of society, and it was almost certain that they were going to die. And the only way you could be readmitted into the population if you were a Jew is that a priest had to analyze you and declare you clean before you could re-enter and reattach yourself to your family. It was a horrendous disease. People looked at it as a curse. They looked at it as a, a punishment for something they had done. And to receive leprosy was to basically be banished by God and punished and cursed. And so it had all these stigmas attached to it, in addition to the fact that it was painful and degenerative. And Naaman, with all of, his, all of his accolades and all of his awards and all of his accomplishments in life, was a leper and was on his way to an imminent death. Got the picture? So whatever you do, don't get leprosy. You can get COVID-19 and have a better chance of survival. You'd have a better chance of survival with heart disease or cancer. You'd have a better chance of survival with almost any disease that I can name other than the, the harshest form of leprosy. I mean, there were some forms of leprosy that were as mild as eczema, and they diagnosed it as leprosy. Unfortunately, almost any, if you look at Leviticus chapter 13, it goes through this dialogue, this dialogue of, of various skin diseases and how to treat it. And many of them had situations where people were castigated with nothing more than a rash or something because they didn't have the scientific medical equipment to properly diagnose certain things. So they would almost call anything that looked unnatural or untreatable as leprosy. Leviticus 13 gives a detailed analysis and so the Lord came up with a law through Moses and said wait you got to start checking people out because you're castigating people that aren't even lepers amen so here's what we know really quick this this particular account happened about 900 years before Jesus and Jesus referred to this particular situation I'm going to read a little bit more and then I'll tell you what Jesus said it says back in 2nd Kings chapter 5 Verse 2, 
it says, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Verse 3, she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Verse 4, so Naaman went in and told his Lord, that is the king of Syria, thus and so spoke the little girl from the land of Israel. By the way, Elijah's name in Hebrew, it means God is my salvation. It's a good name to name your kids if you're looking for a boy named Elisha. God is my salvation. Verse 14 says, So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. By the way, <laughs> just a little aside. I'm going to get to the point here in a second. That word clean in the Hebrew, if you do, do a deep dive on that, the word doesn't just mean that he was cleansed of his leprosy, a physical cleaning, a superficial cleaning, a healing of his, of his body physically. It also suggests that there was an internal cleaning, a spiritual cleaning. He was not just made whole physically. This man was converted. This man became a believer. And that's why I say this little girl could possibly have been instrumental in bringing salvation to the Syrians because this man was second in control, kind of like what Daniel was in Babylon, kind of like what Joseph was in Egypt. Highly ranked, highly positioned, and in a great place to be of influence. And this man became a believer in God. He said, there's no other God, and I'll worship no other God but the God of Israel. And he even took some dirt back because they believe that when you worship, you should worship on the dirt or the soil in which you were healed. He took dirt back to Syria to worship God in Syria to worship the God of Israel that had healed him of this horrible, incurable disease. And isn't it somewhat like sin in that only God can forgive sin? Only God can heal us from the insidious, horrible, destructive nature of sin. Only God can forgive our sins. Only God can restore us and heal us internally. Much like this disease, leprosy, it's a good icon or a good symbol of sin because of its nature and how it works from the outside in, destroying the body. And that's how sin works, except sin starts in the heart and it destroys from the inside out. So here's what it goes on to say in Luke chapter 4, verse 27. The Lord referred back to this occasion some 900 years later. He says, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. That to me suggests this. All these people that were dying of leprosy, either they didn't know about the power of God or they refused to believe it because they died in spite of the fact that there was a man there that God was using to heal people of a deadly disease. It reminds me of when the children of Israel started worshiping idols. I believe it's in Leviticus. And the Lord told Moses, that the people that were getting bitten by these vipers and dying in droves by this plague and curse that God had sent on them, he said, take a serpent, tie it on a pole, elevate the pole, and tell the people, if you look to the pole, you will be forgiven. Remember that? 
That's, by the way, how we get the medical symbol of the serpent, the snake around a pole. It was a sign of healing. And the people wouldn't do it. They just kept dying. So back in, in, in Elijah's days, these people kept dying. They kept dying even though there was a man there that God was using to heal people of leprosy. The Jews wouldn't buy it. Guess what? The king of Israel didn't even know Elijah was a prophet and had the healing power of God working through him to heal people of leprosy. When, when Elijah found out that the king of Syria had written a letter to the king of Israel saying, hey, I need you to heal my servant here, my king, my, my commander, my army. The king of Israel ripped off his clothes and started saying he just wants to pick a fight. He's trying to start something. This is an aggressive, you know, passive aggressive at the minimum attempt to start a war. And somehow Elijah found out about it. I'm just shortcutting the story to get to the point. Elijah found out about it and said, why are you ripping your clothes off? Send the guy down here. I'll heal him. Or God will heal him, he said. And so the king sent Naaman and his entourage to the house of Elijah. You guys know the story. Elisha, with an S, wouldn't even come out to greet him. He said, hey, he sent a message by his servant saying, tell Naaman to go down to the Jordan and dip seven times and he'll be healed of his leprosy. Now, any of us would have said, oh, man, thank you. You are the man. You are the bomb. I love you. God bless you. Thank you. Can I do anything for you? Give me your address so I can send you a Christmas card. At any rate, Naaman pushed back and said, wait a minute. You're not even going to come out and acknowledge me? I am a, a, a royal visitor from a foreign nation. I'm a dignitary and a high-ranking officer, and you're going to send out a little servant to give me instructions? Aren't there rivers and lakes in Syria that are cleaner and purer than the nasty Jordan River? And can't you at least acknowledge me and dignify my presence by coming out? Listen, let me just tell you something. The moral of the story, and I didn't even plan Don't let your ego stop God from healing you. Don't let your arrogance and your aloofness and your standoffishness and your place and position in life keep you from getting God's best. Don't think because people are saying great things about you that you have arrived. You haven't arrived until you get the glory. As long as you're down here, we got work to do. As long as we're down here, God is working on us and through us and with us and for us. So as long as we're here, stay in our place, stay humble, and let God use us to his glory. Amen? Anything else is usurping God's glory. Amen. So back to the little girl as I start to wrap this up. The little girl was an Israelite, which, by the way, already made her an object of scorn. She was a female, so she was a victim of sexism she was a a young girl so she was a victim of ageism she was a jew jewish so she was a victim of anti-semitism she was also a slave so she was a victim of being in a bad position of having no right she was bought with a price she didn't have her family didn't have her siblings didn't have her home in a strange land that worshiped a strange god she was completely displaced this little girl, by the way, had every 
reason in the world to be angry and resentful and mean and bitter. She shouldn't have wanted to say anything to help her master because she had been snatched from her home and brought to a foreign land. This is telling me something about bitterness. This is teaching me something about forgiveness. This is teaching me something about when bad things happen to good people. This is teaching me how to have a better attitude regardless of the position and circumstances I find myself in. God still wants us to glorify him. He still wants us to lift him up. He still wants us to be nice, be good, be godly, even in an ungodly environment. There is a way that our lights can shine and God can receive the glory even when everything around us is crashing down and burning and falling apart. There is a way that we can conduct ourselves that God can be glorified. Don't let circumstances and people take you to a dark place, take you to a place where God can't be honored. You need to realize that whether you're in slavery, whether you're in captivity, whether you're getting discriminated against, whether you're getting put down, God can still be glorified. Yeah. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I just have a couple speculations about the girl. She was probably alone. She had probably been separated from her, life, her parent family. She probably was a young teen. She probably was scared to death. She was working for a man and a woman that she didn't know. She was living in a land that she had never visited. She had no background in this particular environment. She was a slave, she was a girl, and she probably was frightened. And she could have kept her information to herself, but she didn't. The Bible says that she told the wife of Naaman that I wish my master were back in Samaria because there's a man there that knows God. <laughs> Woo! I know a man. I know a man from Galilee. <laughs> I know a man that can change your life and change your world. Amen. I know a man that can give you new purpose. I know a man that can give you new skin. I know a man that can give you new health. I know a man that can give you a new reason to live. All you need to know is the man from Galilee. I tell you, I thought about this girl and I said, this girl is just embarrassing me. Because I know that I would have probably a bad attitude. I'm in slavery, and you know how black people feel about slavery. <laughs> I'm glad I had my dignity stripped. I've had my family stripped from me. I've had my home stripped from me. I'm on foreign soil, worshiping a foreign God. I thought about Esther, Queen Esther. When Mordecai, I said, you better go and talk to the king because you're a Jew too. And when he killed the Jews and commit genocide on the Jews, you're going to be included in that number. Esther said, but he hasn't called for me. I can't just walk in there and get an audience with the king without being summoned. He said, well, if you don't go, God will raise somebody else and you will be left out. And you know, that's when she made the great saying, well, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to see the king. I think of this little girl. I know the right thing to do. And I know my master needs help. And even though I don't like being a slave... Even though I don't like being ripped away from my family, even though I don't like being in a foreign country, I'm going to do my best.
to do the right thing. And she told her master's wife about a, a man that could heal her and said if he were just there, he could be healed. So I wrote down a couple things for you to take home. One is the Monday morning moment, which I'll save for last. Here's a couple of lessons that I've learned, and I pray that you will learn as I take my seat. Number one, learn to give God the glory in all circumstances. Look for the silver lining. Find a way that God can be glorified. I take that thought from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Justin, can you just put that on the screen for a minute while I give another one? Uh, you can also make a note, please, if you will, everybody, of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. And by the way, I can quote that one. That's when Paul had asked the Lord to remove his thorn in the flesh three times. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to remove it, but my grace is sufficient for you. Your strength will be made perfect through weakness. That's 2 Corinthians 12. And this particular passage here uh, that I gave Justin, he's going to put up in a minute. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, essentially is the same thing. 16, 17, and 18. Let me give you another lesson that I learned from this particular passage of scripture in 2 Kings 5 that will help me rejoice. And then Justin put up 17. 16 says rejoice always. 17 says pray without ceasing and watch what 18 says ladies and gentlemen drum roll please 18 and everything give thanks for this is god's will for you in christ jesus everything do you see that there are no qualifications there are no exceptions there are no differences he says in everything we learn to give thanks as this little girl did let me give you another lesson that i learned from this passage in second kings chapter five which i pray that you guys will be like the bereans and go home this week and study this again because there are so many good things that I want to share with you that time will not permit that I believe you will be blessed if you read about the life of this young Hebrew girl, if you read about what God did through Elisha, if you read about Gehazio's greed when he tried to steal the gift that Naaman had brought for Elisha, and it backfired on him, and he actually ended up contracting leprosy. It kind of learns that, you know, be careful what you do. Be careful about your greed. Don't touch any, take anything that's not yours. God has all that we need. He meets our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And we don't have to steal, lie, or cheat to get what God has for us. Amen? So here's another lesson I learned from this young lady who has just become... Uh, my new favorite hero, uh, hero in 2 Kings. It's, I, I wrote in my notes, God can work great miracles with just a little bit of faith. And I put that in there because of what it says in Matthew 17, 20. Justin, if you'll put that one up, Matthew 17, 20. God only needs a mustard seed amount of faith to move a mountain. Think how little faith we have if we're not moving mountains in our lives. Whether that was a literal translation or a figurative one, a little bit of faith goes a long way. This girl believed Elijah. Because here's, here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. I, I started thinking, well, let me just read this. It says, and he said unto them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, by the way, which is one of the smallest seeds in the garden, it says that you could move a mountain. Move from here to there. You could say to the mountain, move from here to there. And it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. That's mind boggling. I don't care how you translate that. I don't care whether you look at that as being literal or symbolic. It's still monumental. Amen. 
Here's what I started thinking about, ladies and gentlemen. What if, what if Naaman goes down to Damascus and Elijah says, no, I won't see you. What if Naaman goes down to Damascus and Elijah says, okay, I'm going to lay my hands on you and anoint you with oil. And it doesn't work. What if Naaman goes down to Damascus and the king says, hey, there's nothing I can do for you and doesn't point him to Elijah's house. All of these things were in play, but the girl did not remit. The girl did not back down. She said if he would get connected with Elisha, God would heal him. That to me is amazing faith. Especially for a little girl. For any of us, it would be amazing faith. You have no idea what God is planning to do, but you're just out there. You're just stepping out on faith. I, I'm just blown away. I pray you all learn something from this because I am. Here, I got two more. Number one, I said, or number three, children, oh, did I, yeah, I gave Matthew 17 and 20. Justin, if you'll put up Proverbs 22, 5. I put down another lesson to learn is that children can remember simple truths that they learn. And we never know what and when those testimonies will blossom and work miracles. I think Proverbs 22.5 says, oops, that's not the right one. That's the right one, but that's not what I wanted to, that's not what I wanted. Don't worry about it. We'll come back to that another time. I put here that according to Matthew 19, 14, that adults can sometimes learn from children. And Jesus made that point. I was starting to think this week about who was this girl's parents? Who trained her? Where, where did she come from? Who is this girl that has this kind of faith, this kind of courage, this kind of holy boldness, these insights? This wisdom, this, this girl in captivity to come up with this, who is she? Oh, man, that just speaks volume about how she was raised. It speaks volumes about her parents. It speaks volumes about her environment and who taught her and how she gained these insights into how God works and who he is and what he does and how great he is. My last point. And actually, my next to last point, rather, because my last point will be the Monday morning moment. My next to last point, and, and Justin, I think it's Proverbs 22, verse 1. It's, I have here the importance of a good reputation at work, school, play, and home. That's Proverbs 22, 1. Because I'm going to tell you something. They would have never believed her had she been a bad girl. They would have never believed her had she been a disobedient girl. They would have never believed her had she had a bad attitude. You know how some people just have a bad attitude? They're just snarky. They're snarly. They're mean. They snap back. They just get you up off of them. They have nasty tone to their voice. You don't want to be around them because they're unpleasant and they're hostile and they're passive aggressive or just straight up aggressive. This girl obviously had none of that. The words that she possibly spoke in the kitchen or out on the playground, out in the yard or wherever she was. 
ended up getting to the ears of two kings. Not one, but two. The king of Syria heard what she said, and the king of Israel got the message of what she said. A little girl. Just amazing. The amazing no wonder Jesus said, come as a little child. Uh, for, forsake not the children to come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And how the word of God can be understood even by a child. I am just so impressed with this young lady. I'm impressed with her parents that trained her or whatever environment she was in that got her to this point. And it lets me know that it, regardless of how bad my circumstances are, by the way, that's my Monday morning moment. If you're taking notes, I said that my Monday morning moment is sometimes bad things happen for good reasons. Sometimes bad things happen for good reasons. We all know Romans 8.28, but if you'll just put up on the screen one last scripture, Justin, Genesis 50.20, where Joseph took lemons and he made lemonade. And this is a good opportunity for us to have the same attitude that God can take bad situations. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where, where while Justin is getting on the screen, it says something like this, that Joseph said to his brothers, you meant these things for evil, but God meant it for good. Doesn't matter what we go through, God can turn it around. God will turn it around and make it good for us, but he certainly will always make it good for him. Lord, we just thank you for the message this morning. We ask you, Lord, that this word will, will challenge us, that it will inspire us. Most importantly, Lord, that it will transform us to be like you. May this message teach us the importance of our reputation. May this message teach us the importance of our attitude and our actions. May this message help us, Lord, to interpret why bad things can possibly happen to good people and how we can turn it around and flip the script for your glory, that you might be glorified, that we might be edified, that your name might be exalted, that there might be proof that there is a God who heals, who loves, who saves, who redeems, who renews, who brings us to life, Lord. We just ask you, Lord, to give us a mindset to be positive and to be upbeat even when we're up against trials and tribulations that make things look unbearable but that you can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us lord and we believe you and we thank you lord for this word we ask you that you we cherish it that we be as the bereans in acts 17 11 that we go home and that we dig and we study and we research and we review these words until they get into our spirit so that we will walk like you that we will talk like you that we will think like you lord that we will live like you lord jesus and we thank you in advance and we know you're able to do all things in Jesus' matchless name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.